So welcome to episode one of Captain's Vlog. The reason I'm doing a podcast, um, I, I've thought about it for some time simply because it I felt would be a quicker and easier way of me delivering information to people that follow the Fierce Turtle blog. And by definition, to a large extent, that's people who have signed up to do the Clipper Around the World Yacht Race. Now, the, the blog that I run, Fierce Turtle, is totally independent of Clipper. It's not connected in any way. But uh, I have quite an experience of Clipper in that I did the race in 2011-12 as a Around the World um, crew. And then when I came back, I continued because I'm a professional sailor in their training department as a freelance instructor, first a mate and then a training skipper. And I have also been a race skipper uh, in 1314 for two legs, leg four, uh, sorry, leg, uh, yeah, leg four and leg five. And um, so I've got um, a fairly unique experience of the race and I have raced on both the 68s and the 70s. So I've got I hope some experience that's worth sharing. And for that reason, I set up the blog. Now, the blog is all well and good, but it does mean that you have to go to it. You have to read um, what's there. And I thought it might be easier, both for you and for me, if I was to deliver thoughts on the hoof, which you could then subscribe to through the podcast process and listen to when you are traveling or when you have free time, when you're on the tube or doing whatever you're doing. So I hope that um, there is a, a demand for this and um, we'll get into episode one in just a minute. Uh, but first of all, I just wanted to highlight a couple of things which I think will make the podcast an awful lot more beneficial to everybody. Um, the main thing is that I'm using a podcast host called Anchor FM, A-N-C-H-O-R, Anchor. And they offer an app which you can download on your smartphone. And that app is free and it enables you to follow this podcast. But not only that, it also enables you to, in the app while you're listening to the podcast, text questions or comments. So if you have comments or questions you'd like to text, you can do so. Obviously, the podcast is recorded, and therefore, you won't get a live answer. But what you will get is uh, it will set up a sort of a Q&A, which I propose to run um, at the beginning or end or midway through each of the podcasts that I publish. I'm not sure when yet. I'm trying to work that out. But uh, in, the short, um, in the short term, anybody that comments by message using the Anchor FM app on their smartphone, or you can do it on your computer as well by going to anchor.fm and looking for the vlog, uh, for, for the podcast, then um, you will be able to ask questions, comments. Uh, you can send encouragement if you like what you're hearing, and you can send criticism if you don't. So um, to get the Anchor app, first of all, go to the App Store or to, I think it's Google Play for Androids, and search for um, Anchor FM. And you should find the app. It's free. Download it. And once it's downloaded, if you search for Captain's Vlog, you should find me and you can subscribe. If you already have a podcast 
uh, service, such as iTunes. You can also search iTunes and various other podcast services for Captain's Vlog, which is hosted on those as well. So um, there are a variety of ways of doing it, but you can, and I think this is quite useful, you can send messages from the app whilst listening to the podcast uh, if you're using the Anchor app, which I just think is a really good idea. Um, If you're not sure how to download the app on the YouTube channel um, at First Turtle, if you look at the First Turtle podcast page, you will see a little um, how-to video which just shows you where to go and how to download it. So that's enough waffling. Uh, Now, today, episode one of Captain's Vlog, I'm going to be looking at answering some questions that have been delivered to me over the years about what to pack for cold ocean legs. And um, I'll start, I think, the, the podcast by defining what those are, in my opinion. What are the cold legs of the Clip Around the World Yacht Race? Well, this may vary as the race changes course, but usually, in my experience, um, the race is split up into eight legs, each leg being one or more races. Leg one normally leaves Northern Europe, usually the UK, which is where Clipper is based, and heads south across the North Atlantic and across the doldrums into the South Atlantic to South America. So leg one goes through the tropics, and it starts in the summer in the Northern Hemisphere. So in large part, leg one is a warm leg. Leg two sets off from South America and heads south down towards South Africa, and usually... The obvious place to stop, but not necessarily always, is Cape Town. Um, You are setting further south and into the Southern Ocean. And um, I would say leg two is potentially quite a cold leg. Uh, It is relatively short, but it is still potentially a cold leg for elements of it. Leg three is the Southern Ocean leg, the big Southern Ocean leg, which takes you from Cape Town to uh, Western Australia. And leg three is a long, cold leg through the Roaring Forties. So that is definitely, I would consider, a cold leg. Leg four uh, usually involves uh, going up the east coast of Australia. It has in the past included going to New Zealand. And also, um, from time to time, I know it's included the Sydney Hobart race. So you're again in the Southern Ocean for a, a, an element of it. And so leg four potentially is still a cold leg and you will require cold weather kit. Uh, leg five is usually a warm leg. You are in the tropics for a large part of it. You are normally heading west towards China and in the South Pacific, the Solomon Sea and the Coral Sea. So it is a warm leg usually and for leg five, you're unlikely to need much in the way of warm clothing, although, of course, you'd be silly to get on any ocean-going vessel without having enough warm-weather gear. Uh, Leg six, from um, cold continental China across the North Pacific to um, the west coast of the USA. Cold and wet. It's going to be a cold and wet leg. It's a hard leg. It's basically the Northern Hemisphere equivalent of the Southern Ocean. Um, and yes, that is definitely a cold leg. Uh, leg seven, you're heading from somewhere north on the west coast of the States, going south towards Panama. The race goes through the Panama Canal. 
So you are heading towards warm weather, but you might start off in pretty frigid cold weather in the Northern Hemisphere, winter or spring. So it starts cold but gets warmer fairly quickly. Leg, uh, leg seven, once it's through the Panama Canal, goes through the Caribbean and then up, usually up the east coast of the States, normally to somewhere like New York, and therefore uh, relatively warmer because it's getting into the Northern Hemisphere summer. But again, can have breezy cold nights. So again, you would pack sensibly, but um, I wouldn't consider leg seven a cold leg. And then leg eight is uh, the final leg uh, back to Northern Europe. And you uh, there is an ice uh, barrier set, an ice gate set, so that you can't go too far north. And therefore, that should uh, say to you, yes, it could be fairly chilly. Um, normally, it's a relatively short crossing of the North Atlantic, and it is relatively warm. But again, it's the North Atlantic, and the North Atlantic is never very warm. So um, whilst I wouldn't say it's a cold leg, it's not a warm leg either. So just to summarize then, before we continue, I'm really talking here about if you're around the world, or if you're doing signed up to do leg two, leg three, leg four, or leg six, then I would consider those to be cold legs. Uh, leg five and leg seven, I would consider to be relatively warm legs, sometimes very warm. And leg one and leg eight, mm, bit of each. Um, fairly temperate, leg eight is a fairly temperate leg, leg one is, is fairly temperate, and then you go through the uh, through the doldrums where it's obviously very warm, and then you're starting to go south again and into the higher latitudes and therefore gets temperate. So I hope that sort of defines what we're talking about. And um, when I'm talking about full-blown cold leg, which is what I'm talking about in this particular episode, I'm going to be going through what layering is, how it works, and what I think you should be thinking about buying. Working then from the base outwards, we're going to be thinking about base layers. Now, layering is very important. Anyone who's done any outdoor uh, stuff will know that layering is key. And the base layer, it's um, really there to make you comfortable and to stop um, sweat from being absorbed into your base clothing and keeping you cold and, and um, getting smelly and, and rubbing and causing rashes, etc. So the base layer needs to wick sweat away from your skin the base layer will also work as a t-shirt um, when it's when it's warmer, although you may also want a couple of light t-shirts, maybe even cotton t-shirts because of comfort when it's warmer. But you will, I would suggest you could use the base layer for warm weather as well when you're out in the ocean. Um, base layers need, the tops need to be wicking and they are usually either made from merino wool or alternatively from a man-made fiber. Uh, and a lot of the man-made fiber are um, treated with charcoal, which stop them smelling, um, uh, stops the bacteria in some clever way from causing them to smell. So you need to go for base layer tops, which are lightweight wicking tops, and also base layer bottoms. I had five pairs of icebreaker merino wool jockey shorts, and the base layers I had I change once a week, which is what pretty standard for everybody on board. And we on the 68s in the 1112 used to shower once a week and then 
um, he would take it in turns, obviously, because of water. And um, so two would do it at a time, normally if they were the mothers. And after they'd showered, they would change into their fresh base layers and put their other dirty base layers into a 10-litre dry bag, which was sealed up to stop smell. So that was the way that that was done. I would suggest that you need to go for UV-protective base layer tops so that um, they're protecting you from the sun on the hot legs. And for that reason, say you had three to five short sleeve base layers, you should have at least a couple of long sleeve ones to protect you from um, the sun when you're in the doldrums and in parts of the southern hemisphere. So it's important that you um, you think about both sun protection, wicking and smell and management when you're thinking about base layers. I went for I think I had seven base layers, five were short sleeve or four were short sleeve and three were long sleeve, five pairs of jockey shorts. And then also I had some sort of um, mid-weight leggings, which are sort of a thermally but still wicking uh, leggings or long johns. And those were, were very comfortable when it's very cold and they wick as well, but they're just another little bit of insulation underneath what goes next, which is your mid-layer. The mid layer is there to keep you warm. It goes over the base layer and uh, mid layers are fleece lined. The salopets are the salopets that go between maybe your leggings or your jockey shorts and your um, fowly outer, so your shell, your outer shell, which is provided usually by uh, the clipper race sponsor. It's... Um, the, the salopets that I'm recommending for the cold legs are effectively, the, they go under the salopets that uh, are provided by Clipper. They're fleece-lined. Uh, they're quite warm. They're sort of shower-proof, I'd say. Um, they are made by Musto. Musto do very good pairs, uh, other brands as well. Um, they're fleece-lined. They're normally quite high on the chest, which is good because it keeps your core warm as well. And then you'd also wear on top a warm Polartec fleece. Again, Musto do a really good Polartec fleece. Um, as long as it's a heavy, warm Polartec fleece, you'll be fine. And um, then a fleece-lined mid-layer jacket, which they normally pair with the salopets. And again, Musto do those. Um, fleece-lined and warm and windproof. And that's what keeps your core warm so it's important that you have a decent mid-layer jacket and it goes underneath uh the goes over the top of your fleece but underneath your uh smock so that is mid-layer and that's really not keeping you dry but it is keeping you warm after mid-layer uh comes the shell the outer shell which is really there to keep you dry and also to keep uh, most of the wind away from you but primarily there to keep you dry. Nowadays, modern materials, they're normally Gore-Tex, so they're breathable, so you don't get too hot and sweaty underneath, although because of these layers, you will get sweaty to some extent, which is why you have the wicking base layer. Um, and the shell um, the shell that Musto make is normally, at the moment anyway, is referred to as an HPX. That's the top-of-the-range ocean um, Musto range. And that range is excellent. Um that, as my understanding is that the Clipper Race and the Race sponsor provide the outer shell. So uh, this is the, um, the the clothing sponsor. So um, HPX Musto will pr be providing for the 2019-20 race your outer shell, which will comprise salopettes again. 
and this time um, a smock top. Uh, now, I think a smock is by far the best option and much better than a jacket. Jackets, just they, they, they're not, they let water in. You'd be tempted not to do them up. A smock is much, much better for uh, deep ocean sailing. And as long as you wear the salopettes and the smock correctly, in other words, you have them the right size so that they'll fit over everything else, when you put them on, you make sure you close up all the seals around the wrists and the ankles and the neck and the waist, then you will have pretty good kit. I consider Musto to be the best kit provider out there. It's rather convenient that they happen to sponsor the race as well, so it makes that easy for me to say. Not that I have anything specifically to do with the race, but um, I do, uh, as I've said before, work uh, sometimes for Clipper. So it's it's very easy to be able to recommend Musto. Um, the salopettes and the jacket, are, or the smock, are very hard-wearing. Uh, they are there. They're, they've got illu um, illuminated uh, reflection uh, pads on them so that you can be seen at night. And uh, they have hoods as well. Um, they are uh, high collared and yeah, they are a great addition to the base layer and the mid layer. And without any three of those layers, you just really wouldn't be well dressed for a cold leg. So next we're going to go on to headgear. Probably most of you are aware that we lose an awful lot of our body temperature through our heads. And in my case, that's even more so because I have a baldy head. And so it's important, um, even on some of the warmer legs, certainly at night, that you have headgear to protect you from getting cold. Um, you also need headgear to protect you from the sun, even sometimes on the cold legs where the sun is strong. Um, so think long and hard about headgear. First of all, starting at the neck, I would go for a Polartec snood, um, a sort of one of these gaskets that goes around your neck. I had one of those and I found that really useful on the boat. Um, it's good to go around your neck and act as a sort of a gasket to stop water going down there, but also um, you can pull it up when you're in your bunk over your eyes and use it like a, a little blindfold. So when you're sleeping during the day, you don't get um, woken by light in your face. But I found the snood really useful. Um, Polartec beanies, so warm fleece beanies, Polartec better than wool. Wool, obviously, if they get wet, they stay wet. They're not great for keeping you warm. So Polartec is great. And I'd go for two pair, two beanies, because, you, you know, you may lose one. So um, best to have two. And then um, something which not everybody thinks about, but if you're doing one of the colder legs, I would recommend a um, balaclava. Um, there's specifically shark skin. They do a neoprene-lined uh, sorry, a um, fleece-lined neoprene balaclava with a large sort of shoulder gasket, which you wear over the top of your uh, fleece and then put your mid-layer jacket on and then put your shell on top of that. And that really uh, sort of seals you from any cold water going down your neck. And it really is just, a uh, it, it keeps you very warm and toasty. If you're doing evolutions, or doing a head cell change or a reef or something, and you need to communicate with people, you probably need to pull it down so that you can hear properly because it does limit your hearing. Uh, but if you're on a, a long night watch where you're not doing much other than hanging on and um, trimming, then uh, a balaclava is a godsend when it's on those really cold legs, when it's very windy and very cold and the wind chill is up. So I'd thoroughly recommend one of those. Uh, in terms of feet, again, 
as with the head, if you've got cold feet, it's pretty miserable. Cold, wet feet are just miserable. So I would suggest um, you go for the best boots you can afford, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And also, in terms of feet, you're thinking again about wicking. So a liner sock, probably merino wool, would be perfect. I used cotton socks, and they were okay, but a liner merino wool sock would be good, lightweight. And then over that, wear a warmer uh, sort of a ski sock. Again, maybe merino wool to limit the amount of uh, smell that you're getting. I had five pairs of liner socks plus um, two or three pairs. I think it was three pairs of warm merino wool socks and that lasted me and the merino wool that the warm ones get protected by the liner socks so they don't smell too much and you can wear them for a fair period of time and then over that um boots which i'll talk about now sailing boots um people tend to be they they tend to have their brand that they like and a lot of sailing instructors that are coastal-based really like the Dubarry, uh, particularly the Dubarry Ultima, which is a very cool-looking leather boot with a Gore-Tex lining. And they're very comfortable, and they look great. And for inshore sailing, they're probably the best boot you can buy. Um, they also look good in the bar, if you've got a nice pair of tan legs. And um, so, yeah, the Dubarry Ultima is a good boot. However... For the clipper boots, I wouldn't recommend them. Um, if you've got them, well, it's not the end of the world. If you are on the foredeck a lot and scrabbling around on your hands and knees on the first couple of legs, you will find that the anti-slip on the decks will rub quickly through your toes. And I found with my Debarry Ultimas, which I was wearing on leg one, I destroyed the toes. They were an old pair, so to be fair, they had seen a few miles, but they just destroyed the toes completely. Um... So I wouldn't go for Dubarry Ultimas personally. Um, the other reason I wouldn't go for them is that they don't have gaskets or gaiters. And therefore you can buy aftermarket gaiters, but you really need gaiters because, um, certainly for the cold legs, because when you've got water coming over your knees, it's just going to go straight in your boot, even with the fowlies over the top. So I, I wouldn't go for I wouldn't go for Dubarry Ultima if I had a choice. It's not the end of the world if you have them, but you will need to manage your feet. And I would suggest buying a couple of pairs of sealskin socks so that if they get wet, because they'll stay wet if they're wet, you have at least got some warm or some dry sealskin socks to put on uh, when you put them into wet boots. So what do I recommend? Well, there are three options that I would probably think you should consider. In no particular order, because I do have a very definite preference, but in no particular order, there's the Musto HPX, which is the, the Musto offshore boot, uh, the ocean boot. Um, I don't know the new boot, but uh, the boots in 1112, the older boot, were, were pretty uh, favorably thought of by most of the around the world crew that had them. Uh, they're quite lightweight. Um, they seemed pretty good. They kept people's feet, feet warm. Um, they had gaiters. Um, and as I say, I rate the Musto brand. So I don't know the boot, um, but I know you get a discount as Clipper Crew, so it's probably very much worth considering the Musto Ocean boot. Um, the next boot on the list is the Dubarry Crosshaven. So unlike the Ultima, the Crosshaven has gaiters. It's a little bit more substantial, and I think from memory it has got a rubber toe. So um, they're a little bit more substantial, although I have heard that they too break down uh, or can break down when they're under heavy use. So I, I haven't got personal experience of that. 
And then the third option, and this is my preferred option, I just I rave about these boots every chance I get. And that's the Le Chamou Neptune. Le Chamou is C-H-A-M-E-A-U. There's a link in the description on YouTube and also uh, on the website under here. If you look under the video and um, uh, uh, the, the blog, Fierce Turtle sells them. There is a discount for Clipper Crew. Um, there is also a very, very uh, good discount for the Musto HPX. I'm not going to push you either way with them. Um, I think the Le Chamou is better because it's very heavy weight, so it's a, it's a, a very substantial boot. Um, it is rubber, uh, handmade rubber, which means that they are totally waterproof and, and pretty robust. The toes are indestructible on the Clipper decks. Uh, they have a gaiter. I think they were the first people to make gaiters for um, sailing boots, so I think that's a pretty good, um, you know, they were the, the people that pioneered it. And um, if you look at most of the Volvo Ocean Racers, even when they're sponsored by other brands, a lot of the time they wear the Le Chamu Neptune. Um, I just think they're a cracking boot. The downside to them, um, they, the, the reason they work, by the way, is that they're rubber, but they've got a neoprene lining and a thick sole. So the thick sole stops the cold deck coming through and cooling your feet. The rubber, um, rubber outer obviously keeps them waterproof. The gaiter helps keep water from going into them and if water does go into them or if your feet get sweaty the neoprene lining keeps your feet warm like a wetsuit so that's the good side to them the downside they're not the prettiest boots i have to say so if you're going to be wearing them on a warm leg they're going to be too warm and they'll get sweaty and smelly uh, so you need to manage them uh, which i'll talk about in another podcast how you manage feet and personal hygiene um, but the other thing that's a bit of a downside to them is um yeah they don't look great in the pub so they're not like the debari ultimas they are um pretty heavyweight you'd only wear them when you need to wear sailing boots but when you do wear them and you need to wear them they're warm so you you pay your money you takes your choice they're all roughly the same price the debari ultima are a little bit cheaper i think normally um and you do get a discount with musto and a discount with fierce turtle for the shamus so um i would um yeah pay your money take your choice but uh, that's my uh recommendation on boots so moving on then to ancillaries, deck kit, I call it. Um, so that's stuff that you take to deck on pretty much every watch. So I normally used to take with me a safety knife, uh, a, uh, a Leatherman or a Gerber, sort of a multi-tool. Um, I would take a head torch with a red lens and um, I might have the option to take gloves with me, although I don't usually wear gloves when I'm sailing. Um, I kept my snood and my headgear in the same bag as well. And um, any other bits and pieces that you need to get to all the time. I, I think I kept a little bit, a little bottle of alcohol wash or alcohol gel in there as well, just in case you needed to, you know, wash your hands and you hadn't got options to, to wash your hands for some reason. Uh, and also sun cream um, so that you can sort of spray on sun cream so that you can put that on before you go on deck. You might also keep some wet wipes in there or something like that. So that's what I kept in my dry bag, a 10-litre dry bag, which I hung next to my shared bunk and so did my bunkmate. And then we could dip into our respective dry bags and pick all our kit up and be kitted and on deck really quickly. Um, so I would recommend that with the safety knife, you go for, well, one option that I know of is the Gerber Easy Out. That's Easy Echo Zulu. 
easy out, uh, made by Gerber, about £30, and um, fantastic knife, serrated blade, and a blunt end. You need a blunt end so you don't go around stabbing everybody with it, or yourself, or your life jacket. I would tie it by lanyard and clip it onto your life jacket so it's always on deck with you when you're on deck because you're always wearing a life jacket. And then if you need to use the knife in an emergency, you have it immediately to hand, and it's sharp, and it will cut through line. Uh, most knives won't cut through the um, sort of spectrodyneema sort of line because it's just too strong, uh, whereas a, a fully serrated blade will. So that would be my recommendation on a knife. If you want to carry a multi-tool, not everybody has to have them, but it's useful if a handful of people on deck have got them, especially if you're working at the master on the bow. And a multi-tool, maybe the Leatherman Wave, which is about £100, or a Gerber doesn't have to be too expensive you don't have to have one but if you want one useful to have one in your pocket um, in terms of head torch as i said red lens it's got to have a red lens and the reason for that is that um, otherwise during using a white um, light during night you will not be thanked for taking everybody's um, uh, night sight away and a recommendation with the head torch always wear it around your neck not on your head if you wear it on your head and somebody calls your name or you turn to look at something, it will dazzle the people you're talking to. If you put it around your neck, it lights up whatever you're working on, lights up your hands, which is what you want to achieve, but it doesn't dazzle everybody else. So usually wear it around your neck and turn it on and off sparingly and always have a red lens to it. Uh, gloves. Very difficult to find gloves that actually work. Um... I would say the best gloves probably are neoprene um, because um, they get wet in very wet weather and if they're neoprene they will keep your hands warm. You can't really handle line effectively with gloves on so um, you might have some sailing gloves which might be the ones with the, at the fingertips and have a leather palm to them. Um, they're quite good for as well for trimming when you're trimming a spinnaker. Give you a little bit of grip and just save your forearms from uh, aching too much when you're grabbing onto that spinnaker sheet. Uh, and they give you an, a little bit of protection, I suppose, but I wouldn't rely on them. Um, but they won't keep your hands very warm. When you're helming, or if your hands are very cold, mittens are very good. But then again, they get wet. So the best you can think really of, of using, I would say, are actually, for once, cheap. And that's the the mitten gauntlets or the glove gauntlets that are a long gauntlet glove. They are rubberized, so they're waterproof, and they're fleece-lined. You can buy them on eBay if you search for them. They're used by meat packers and by um, offshore fishermen, and therefore they don't look pretty, but they work. And they're cheap. They're probably 5 or £10 pounds a pair. I would thoroughly recommend, if you're going to be doing some helming, getting a pair of those, or think about buying a few pairs to share with your crew. So... Getting on to the last thing, really, and that is dry suits. Now, I'm not going to talk about dry suits in any detail here, but if you do go for a dry suit, and I would think it's probably a good idea to think about a dry suit if you're going to be on the bow a lot and you're going to be sailing on one of the colder legs in cold seawater, where survival times when you're in the water are not long, then a dry suit is what I call a, it's an insurance policy. Now, the best insurance policy is to follow SOPs and stay clipped on at all times. Um, but, of course, 
sometimes accidents happen and for whatever reason once you're in the water it really doesn't matter whose fault it is uh, the idea is that we get you back safely so a dry suit gives the crew a little bit more time to get back to you and to find you if you've not clipped on um, so i i think a dry suit on a cold leg is a good idea it, they are expensive and i'm going to do a separate podcast on dry suits and uh, my views on them um, so that's pretty much it uh i uh, i hope this has been of some use to you please do comment using the uh, comment section if you can think of anything that um uh that you wanted to ask uh, or give me any any feedback on whether you think this podcast is a good idea the way to comment is either on the youtube channel uh on um uh, if you go to the page and click on the YouTube link, it'll take you through to the Captain's Vlog YouTube channel, and you'll be able to comment there in the uh, video section. Or alternatively, and this is probably a better option if you're listening via the Anchor app on smartphone, you can just click on messages and text a comment in, and I will read all comments and comment uh, or answer anonymously if preferred any of your questions and um and yeah i hope that that will mean a bit of a dialogue going and that this is a useful podcast both for you and an easier podcast for me so um thanks very much for listening and as i say i'll promise to to try and keep these podcasts uh shorter and sweeter next time in the meantime please do um tell your friends about it if it's useful and uh like and share thanks very much This podcast is entirely independent and in no way endorsed by the wonderful folks at the Clipper Round the World Yacht Race, Clipper Training or Clipper Ventures. (laughs) 